Welcome to the Behind the Connection podcast. This is the podcast that covers all things internet and technology related. The good, the bad, the complexities, and the realities. We talk about it all right here on Behind the Connection. I'm your host, and my name is Tyler Rasmussen. Today's topic is a fun one. Lots of discussion around 5G wireless technology. Um, As consumers, we've been inundated the last 10 years with the evolution of wireless data technology. We've transitioned from 1X data to 3G and 4G or LTE and now LTE advanced and everybody's hearing about 5G today. So I got a couple of our local experts here in the studio with me today. I've got Alan Benyon and Jeff Cranny, a.k.a. Alpha and Omega. <laughs> it's the way they wanted to be introduced. <laughs> and and when people's phones don't work, they probably want to realize how much power you two have and making sure that their phones are working correctly. So, yeah. So, yeah, no, these are a couple of great guys that uh, have been with Strata for many, many years. I've worked with them and known them for probably close to a couple of decades now and really pleased to have them here in the studio with us to discuss wireless technology and specifically 5G. Um, why don't you guys take just a minute and introduce yourself to the listeners. Alan, why don't we start with you? What's your, what's your role at Strata, your title, and um, tell us a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Um, wireless supervisor over acquisition and cell site maintenance. So we have uh, three areas of coverage, Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, uh, around 100 or so cell sites in that, in that geographical area. Um, day-to-day basis would be checking alarms, weather, seeing what's going on with the network. Um, you know, if we've got outages, power, weather related or anything like that, and dispatching guys to take care of those and maintaining the networks. I work a lot with leases and acquisition, actually getting the cell site, um, you know, from the landowners leasing that and getting right aways and, and different things like that together. So these sites are all probably like, you know, downtown Vernal and downtown Roosevelt, places that are easy to get to, I assume, right? No, just the opposite. <laughs> oh, I, I wanted to describe your job as a really cush job, but no, I, I know Strata's got some sites in some crazy places, you know, uh, top of Blue Mountain, Rainbow out in the Book Cliffs, Buck Canyon. I mean, you name it, all across the basin in some pretty crazy places. And and obviously, and we'll probably break it down a little bit on the podcast today, but a lot of places that don't have power and, you know, you got to figure out how to get, you yeah. know, get fuel sources to them and make them function and run. Yeah. A lot goes into it. So what's the size of the team that you work with? How many guys do you have working with you? We have full, uh, four full-time uh, wireless technicians that uh, maintain that, those three state areas. And, um, it, great guys. And that's what makes the job fun is good employees and people that care about the network. We have somebody monitoring the network, uh, 24 seven every day of the year. Um, for outages and being dispatched between the cell techs and the guys that look that watch the switch. So, and weather's not our friend. Yeah, we, yeah. we have some challenges accessing the sites daily. Sometime in the weather is hard. The hardest thing. Those challenges can also be fun, right? Snowmobiles, and snow cats, and all sorts of fun stuff, right? If, you, if you're a foul weather friend, yes, <laughs> <laughs> which I know you are. So anything from. You're, you basically take probably like a predefined location that's going to come from probably Jeff's team. You know, he's going to basically engineer a location where you want to build a site. You're going to have to go out and secure the site from a landowner or property owner, get a lease in place, get access, and then figure out actually how to provide the necessary infrastructure to the site, which would be what, first of all? What's the infrastructure you'd need at a cell site? Well, you'd need a tower and a, and a shelter to put your equipment in. Um, power, um, fiber, copper to that site. Um, we have generator backup on a lot of them. We do have some solar sites, but we, we get together as teams and figure out um, where we need more coverage or if population's growing, um, that type of thing. And then and then we'll go out and put those on some search rings and look at some areas and see what kind of coverage that we think the mountaintops will give and then uh, go from there and contact awesome. the landowner. So then, uh, um, let's see, so... Your team, you used to have the team that actually constructed the site, right? Yeah, the tower crew. You work closely with them, anyways. Yeah, but yeah. so then, basically, build the site and then and then um, install the equipment on the site and maintain the equipment, right? So that's all to a certain degree in your direct purview, or you have a, a, a good yes. influence on it, right? Yep. Okay, great. That's a really good summary, Jeff, <laughs> Mister Jeff Cranny. 
what's uh give us a peek into your um day-to-day and what your title is and what your i'm i'm the wireless network supervisor um my day-to-day starts out with uh several different hats depending on which one i want to put on to start the day with but uh mm-hmm. like you mentioned i i work with alan and and tim closely on on engineering the the cell sites uh, figuring out where the rf needs to go and what's rf and i'm going to the, stop the, these the, guys several <laughs> times because they're going to use acronyms like crazy the, ra- the radio frequency yeah. that's output by the site so gotcha uh, that has to be engineered and looked at closely so that we make sure the the site sings like it like we want it to sing so um i engineer that uh, work with with the people who do the drawings and get everything done that way uh, i may put on a different hat like i did today and be in training all day and in that training we're trying to figure out how to do how to best serve our network and our customers uh, how to how to move into the future with more tools into our hands and and how to look at the future the future thing. So you mentioned 5G. Well, my team's been working on 5G now for six months or longer, mm-hmm. uh, watching that runway and how it is. And and the 6G isn't out yet, but we're already looking forward to beyond 5G. What? Oh, don't even start, start talking start, about 6G yet. <laughs> what that starts to look like. So <laughs> let's my, just skip to like 10G or something. Yeah. So my team, my team's kind of a hodgepodge of of different departments. I have the roaming department, and I have the handset. Uh, certifications department and i have the optimization drive testing department and and uh then i work closely with mark murphy and his group with the core so okay so and lot lots of different hats but that's that's what we get to do as small carriers and yeah. that's what makes our jobs the most fun in the company mm-hmm. i think alan and i have the funnest jobs in the company so you <laughs> say you use the term small carrier which i think is interesting maybe we can try to scope for the listener um the the size and relativity of strata you know in in comparison to some of the other carriers we obviously know there's there's four great big carriers right AT&T Timo Sprint Verizon mm-hmm. and then below that like where's the next step down like where would where would strata fit in in like a national map of carrier size well they rank they rank carriers by what they call tiers mm-hmm. and so Verizon uh, AT&T would be a tier 1 carrier mm-hmm. uh, then they have tier twos there's not very many tier twos that would be like a u.s cellular uh, size and then 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 tier three and tier four mm-hmm. so strata is probably in the tier three category mm-hmm. and we we also operate through arena group uh tier four carrier levels okay so we'll very, come very back and talk carriers. about what arena is so so um in my mind, I've always assumed that Strata is probably in like the top thirty for sure in the country of size and scope. Is that a is that a fair? Yeah, we're probably we're probably close to that. Okay, yep. so it's interesting to think that you've got the top four that serve hundreds of millions of customers, right, mm-hmm. in, in the U.S. And then from there, it drops off precipitously. You, I mean, you've got a couple of those intermediate carriers like U.S. Cellular, right? But then there's really nobody, right, other than a bunch of not lot. even a bunch. There's 30 or 40 or 50 regional carriers like Strata that kind of fill in all the holes, correct? Yep. yep. And and that's critical not only for Strata customers, but for those those top those big four carriers, right. correct? Because yep. they're those companies are working with, you know, the big four are working with companies just like Strata to 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 fulfill their nationwide coverage claims, correct? Right. Yep. Without the stratas that the regional stratas that exist throughout the US, they can't make that commitment and that promise. Right. right. So you mentioned kind of four groups. I just want to make sure the listener kind of understands. You mentioned the drive testing or optimization group. So that's a crew that basically drives around and tests coverage, right? right? And and, and then reports back the data and says, things seem to be working well here, but not working well here. And then you'll optimize the sites and tuning and pointing to where things are working as well as they possibly can. So that that department does uh, cell site Mm turnups. Uh, along with Allen's group, uh, they work closely in, in making sure a new site fits into the the network like it's supposed to. And then if we get complaints or or issues where, you know, there's a network issue somewhere, they will go out and target that specific area. And and just generally they're driving around looking for for issues, hopefully before they become problems. Mm-hmm. We try to try to uh, 
eliminate those before they ever become a, a noticeable problem in the network. So you definitely want people to report if they're finding dead spots. Yes. Many of those you probably already know. Yep. After all, it is the Rocky Mountains. And in spite of the fact that we have, like Alan said, 100 cell sites that we maintain, there, there are some places where the coverage just doesn't exist, right? You're going to drop yep. a call. Almost definitely, yep. But it, definitely if a consumer sees a, a a new location where they're dropping calls or sees a change in their coverage, we would absolutely want them to report that fairly quickly, yes. right? Because yep. that could be an issue with the network that your team could jump on and yep. correct. Yeah. Okay. So that's what that department does. You mentioned the roaming department and that crew is probably mostly responsible for, based on what you said, I'm assuming they work with other carriers yep. to I put in place agreements where our customers can use their networks when they're out of the Uinta Basin and vice versa. The right. other carrier's customers can use Strata's network when they're in the Uinta yep. Basin. Is so ro correct? roaming's been important from the beginning, from the analog days, uh, through the CDMA days, through the 3G days, and you know 4G, and now into 5G. We've had to um, update, work with carriers that have uh, similar technology to us mm -hmm. and work out agreements so that they can use our network and we can use their network mm -hmm. uh, seamlessly. Mm -hmm. So that's what that group does. They they negotiate deals. They they work out contracts. They work out the how you know the the technology is going to work between the carriers and what what happens and what doesn't. So I'm going to ask a really tough question and probably one that aggravates <laughs> us a little bit as Strata employees. But I, I hear oftentimes or not oftentimes I hear at times that um, that uh, a consumer will want, will attempt to blame strata because a certain carrier doesn't have coverage here in the basin or that their coverage has changed. What would you say to that? Are there times when strata puts up a barrier and just says to a company, no, we're not going to work with you and you can't roam on our network period. Well, that, and, and that wouldn't do us any good because you know, we want the revenue from, from any carrier that'll give it to us. And mm -hmm. so we work closely with them to try to, make sure their customers have as good of experience as our customers and, you know, keep the, keep that traffic flowing because the roaming piece of our network, you know, is good revenue to us. And, and we don't, we don't purposely block anybody unless they were coming in causing problems to our network. And we've never really ran into that. So, so is this a safe statement too? Um, does, and I know that there's confidentiality agreements that bind us from, you know, specifically you from stating like specific carriers that we have roaming agreements with, but is it a, is it a safe statement to stay, say that Strata has roaming agreements with some of the biggest carriers as well as small regional yep. and localized players, right? We work with all of them. Yeah, right? we have, we have, we have a lot of agreements. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not hundreds, but dozens, right? Yeah. Well, Several back, in, dozens. back in the analog world, I would say it was probably in the hundreds, but really? as, as carriers have consolidated and been bought out and things like that, they're probably into the 30 to 40 range now. Okay. Let's see. Really quickly then, you mentioned we covered uh, optimization drive testing and we covered roaming. You mentioned handsets. I, that's the crew that tests new handsets before we put them on the network. And yep. some consumers might be surprised to think that you actually have to test a handset before it goes on the network, but we don't want to put a device on our network that's going to create an issue for the consumer, right? Right. And so we test them all before we authorize them, before we even sell them. And there have been times where we've tested devices and we just choose to not not yeah. even offer them, correct? That, that department's the funnest one to be in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Because you, you get all the latest, greatest things. You got to try to make it work. It's, you know, it's you, you get kind of the cutting edge technology right there in that group. But but just because it's a Android phone doesn't mean it it's an Android phone that will work on Strata. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's hundreds of parameters in phones that that have to be have to be taken care of and set before they work on a carrier. And gotcha. the same thing would be with with the other OEM phones. Gotcha. So a lot's going on. A lot a lot going on between the, the groups that you two manage and work with and. You're both serving and your people are both serving a very critical role for Strata and its consumers. Um, so when and why did Strata get into the wireless business? It's been a while, but who wants to take a stab at that one? Don't fight over it, you two. <laughs> I think it was the late 80s, early 90s. Prior our, to all of our time, right? Yeah. You, you've been here nearly 20 years, both of you? 21. Yep, I've been gotcha. just a little bit less than Alan. So more than two decades ago. This, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I think it was the IMTS system and then... In the early 90s went to the analog system gotcha so so why do you think strata chose to get involved 
I don't think anybody else would. <laughs> I think we covered the, the whole basin with three cell sites, Blacktail Ridge. And this was, like you said, prior to anybody else yeah. offering any sort of cellular service at the time, correct? And and Strat as a cooperative has kind of had that be their mantra. That's been their their purpose and their mission for many, many years is delivering services to consumers that couldn't get it any other way. And so I think at the time, from what I've read in the historical content context, is that they chose to offer the service because, once again, the big cellular carriers weren't coming to rural UNA Basin to offer that service, so Strata chose to do it on its own, yeah. correct? Okay. Um, so we've talked quite a bit about some of the components of being in the wireless business, cellular business, but what are some components maybe we've missed? We've talked a lot about handsets. That's the one that consumers use every day and they're most familiar with, and I think consumers see cell sites and they understand that that that's necessary for their phone to function and work, but what are some of the pieces that are maybe behind the scenes that they really don't have any idea about that you guys either have to manage or that they can be a challenge for a wireless carrier? What are some other things? Uh, particularly for me would be loading on the tower. Um, if we could have 20 or 30 years ago, if we could have, you know, seen what was going to be on the towers, then, then we would have done things differently because of the amount of equipment that's on a tower. You know, you can only put so much up there before it's overloaded and then it becomes a safety issue. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jeff, the, how about from your perspective? Well, the, the, the towers that you see are, are very, um, they're, they're not a small part, but they're kind of a small part of the network fabric mm -hmm. that's behind them. Uh, we have microwave systems, we have fiber systems, we have a, a whole core and a core is, is what does all the switching and making sure your traffic gets to where it needs to be, whether it's data traffic or voice traffic or, or whatever traffic there may be, you know, that, that switch network is, is as robust or bigger than the, than the cell site network itself. So can you maybe once again, for my benefit and the listener's benefit, can you break down just really at a really high level when I make a call from a wireless phone, it's obviously using a wireless signal to go to a cell site, right? Yep. How does that, where does that call or that data session, that, that internet session, where does it, you know, well, once, go from one, what is once it, it goes from your phone to the, to the cell site, then the wireless piece is done, mm -hmm. um, unless you go through a microwave system. But, um, at that point it, it hits a terrestrial type network and then goes back to the core and the core does all kinds of different things. And it has to look up like we're almost like a street address. Where does this call belong? Uh, what's the, where do I need to send it to Google? Do I need to send it to Skype? Do I need to send it to Salt Lake and 801, a 435 number or mm -hmm. whatever? There's, there's hundreds and thousands of decisions that need to be made in the core in order to route that traffic. So backing up just a little piece, you use the term, the terrestrial <laughs> network, which may not be familiar to some of our listeners. Um, so once it hits that cell site, you're telling me that every cell site, unless it has a microwave signal, mm -hmm. it's it's connected with copper or fiber. Yep, somewhere right? somewhere in the system, even if it's microwave, is going to to hit a, a fiber. We prefer fiber. Yes, um, but it may hit a copper network as well, and, and then and then make its way back to the switch. Okay, so I think that's a common misunderstanding or misinterpretation, right? A lot of wireless advocates will say we don't need a lot of fiber. I mean, let's just do everything on wireless. It's, you can cover lots of area, put up one tower, it's cheaper. Yeah. But common misperception is that, especially with advanced data speeds like 4G, you you have to have fiber yeah, to a fi cell site Fiber is the best medium to, yeah. to get the speeds in the network that you need. So those technologies really are symbiotic, right? They help mm -hmm. each other. And frankly, yep. they, they don't, it's more than help. They don't work without each other. You right. need the, you need the cell site piece and the handset piece for mobility. We yep. love to be able to pack our devices around and have a data session, but we can't have that data session without a wireless connection or a fiber connection, connecting that cell site to a core right. or a switch. We used to have just a simple, um, 1.5 megabyte connection. We call it a T1 to mm -hmm. the, to the cell site. And that, that handled hundreds of, of calls. Um, now we're getting, you know, almost a gig connections to each site in order to handle the traffic that's, that's being generated through yeah. them. thousand megabits per second. So, yep. okay, great. That helps me. Um, one thing you two didn't mention is spectrum. <clears throat> so spectrum is a word that a lot of consumers have heard, but what does it really mean in this context? It took me several months and years to kind of get familiar with how critical spectrum is in 
a wireless network? Well, it's first I, of all, what is it? Well, it's the it's the air interface, and and it's in it's in a frequency. So so we may own a low band frequency, which would be in the megahertz uh, range. We may own a mid band spectrum, uh, and we may own high band spectrums, which get into the gigahertz. Mm-hmm. Um, wave there so it's kind of it's kind of like owning land mm-hmm. if you're a farmer and you own 10 acres you know there's only so much you can do on 10 acres versus somebody that owns several thousand acres uh, if you don't have the land of course you can't build your house mm-hmm. and so um, if you want to if you want to add more things to that land then you've got to you've got to own it and so strat has done a a good job at at looking at the spectral resources that are around and and making sure that we have what we need. And so, who who does Strata buy the spectrum from? <laughs> well, F generally an FCC auction, but there may be a a big carrier that we own spectrum in a in a place that they want to own spectrum, and they may swap it with us. Yeah. So the FCC, obviously, federal entity, Federal Communications Commissions, they're the entity that oversees the distribution. Yep. Right, of, of all of these different spectrum blocks and licenses, yep. making sure that carriers like Strata can participate in a competitive bidding process to actually win those and use those. And then once you own them, like you said, you may be able to trade them or swap them around or yep. whatever with other carriers that own different rights yeah, or sell we, them. We may be able to lease them or, or, you know, there's lots of different ways to get so spectrum. Just generally, once again, how many different like spectrum blocks or licenses does Strata kind of have access to without, you know, getting into anything too proprietary? Oh, we, I mean, there's probably 10, gotcha. five to 10 that you could, that would really matter at this point okay. that we, that we really look at. So in terms of, in terms of real estate, using your analogy, Strata is well positioned for the future, for growth, for needing that, right. utilizing that spectrum to accommodate growing bandwidth and, and speeds. Yeah. Like That's, I said, on, in my department, we're, we're already looking out, you know, a year, year and a half, two years out to see what, what the next technology is going to try to bring us. Okay. Transition again here. So, um, <clears throat> the FCC federal communications commission recently, I think in the last year, a little over a year banned Chinese equipment mm-hmm. in U S wireless networks. Correct. Yep. Um, that ban was due to privacy concerns, yep. real or perceived, mm-hmm. probably a little bit of both. Yep. Uh, where does Strata sit on that situation? Is, does, has Strata had a history of using Chinese equipment in their network? No, we we don't have any any of that equipment in our network. Um, we we have worked through some with some carriers. Some of the tier one carriers have actually had to certify that we don't have that in our network in order to remain roaming partners with them. So, so we've gone through certifications and, you know, we don't have that. We don't have that in our network. Although there are some rural, some rural wireless carriers that do have that issue, right? Right. And now they're wor- worrying about how to rip and replace. And yep. it's a tough issue. Yeah, for- that, that equipment is very, very expensive too, right? Yeah, fortunately, when we were doing our homework way back when, several years ago that we, we made the right decision okay. at that point. Great. Um, High level, what have been some of the challenges of being in the wireless business? Alan, from your perspective, I mean, as a regional or, or localized carrier, what are what are some of the challenges? I think handsets have been a problem. You know, getting access to the latest and greatest that's coming out, it's always been a problem. Is that is that still a problem today, you think? Or is that for, for the time being resolved? I think we've got most of it remedied. I mean, Jeff knows more about that in his group, but, mm-hmm. you know, we, have, we can get those phones and we've got them. Yeah, there was a time, whether it was BlackBerry or Apple, you know, RIM devices, there was a time when a lot of these large, large OEM, the manufacturers of these devices, they they didn't really want to work with smaller carriers because just the economies of scale were. Well, and they're, they're still that way. I think, I think handsets is one of the biggest issues that we have just mm-hmm. due to the fact that, that Strata is not going to go out and buy, you know, we'd love to if we had the customer base to, but we don't go out and buy or commit to a million handsets or, you know, 10 million handsets mm-hmm. um, and the Samsungs and the Motorola's and the, you know, all the OEMs out there and, you know, all of them are going to going to build custom software to, to people that can do that. And so we have to work with buying groups, um, smaller carriers like ourselves get together 
and try to try to form a buying group that that has enough volume to be able to to get our hands on and in, on those in, things in today's climate i i think we've for now we've mostly remedied that yeah. situation although like you said it it could become a challenge in the yeah, future we for have, sure we've have have had some oems uh, handset manufacturers work very well with us and mm -hmm. we appreciate that and and would you know call out them but so has spectrum always been readily available and affordable that's has that been another challenge spectrum is a is a challenge especially when it gets on a national basis because again you know we're not going to go buy a whole state's worth of spectrum when we only need three counties mm -hmm. uh, some of the auctions are are big enough that they only want to to auction off chunks that big and so we have to we have to lobby and work hard to get the FCC to recognize that we don't want to buy or we can't buy spectrum in those big chunks like the like the big carriers can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and once again, I think we've obviously Strat has been able to navigate those pretty yep. difficult waters and and due to you know some some good managerial foresight and then a lot of work with associations and lobbying groups, mm -hmm. like you said, it for now things are okay, but that's another big challenge. Right. Spectrum is very very expensive. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars worth of spectrum, right? Well, Sometimes the, the last several auctions <laughs> have been in the billions. Yeah, you know, yeah. forty billion. What, considering billion. all the licenses that were issued, right? Yep. So th this is a big, big deal. Yeah. The, the spectrum purchases yep. are a big deal. All right. So um, Strata states to their customers that we have a nationwide network. And yet you guys are telling me we only have 100, not only, but we have 100 cell sites. How do they, how do you make that happen? Where I think we've talked about it a little bit, but make sure we connect those two dots. for. The well, listeners. yeah, we have, that's where the roaming department comes in. We have to go out and negotiate with the, with the carriers that we want to partner with and allow them to roam on our network and we host them as well as as them hosting us and so when we go out of the area where we don't have cell sites uh, we're able to continue that that experience for the customer okay so yeah it's it's pretty important that anybody that's not using strata's wireless service understands that strata actually does have a nationwide plan we right right strata doesn't charge roaming per no. se, uh, any different than, you know, a Verizon or a T-Mobile or an AT&T would charge roaming on anybody else that's outside of their network. And so, yep. yeah, those roaming agreements are really important for us to, um, to allow our customers to use their phone seamlessly when they travel to New York or California or Florida <laughs> or Alaska or wherever, right? Yeah. And in, in the roaming world, we're not really competitors. Mm -hmm. The roaming department is more of a partnering department. Mm -hmm. And so we have very good relationships with, with all of with those. a lot of carriers. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. All right. Um, I know Strata states that they have twice as many sites in the Uinta Basin as their competitors. Is that true? Probably. Probably. I haven't said that in quite a while, but yeah, we've got a lot of towers in places where nobody else does. Oh, well, why would why would Strata do that? Doesn't that represent twice the cost? Well, <laughs> remember the old saying that coverage is king. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of areas where. And I understand that people want to get away sometimes from the phone and that's fine, but there are a lot of other situations where you may need, you know, need to check in or emergency help or something like that. And, and it's nice to be able to call and talk to somebody. Well, I think Strata as a local organization, we're, I think we're naturally a little bit more connected to our communities and we understand to a certain degree more of those, you know, those nuances of where coverage is really critical. Right. Um, one of the elements of spectrum and holding the spectrum is that you have requirements typically to cover a certain amount of populations under the license, right? Yep. And if you don't do that, then you actually have to give the spectrum license back to the FCC, correct? And right. what we see naturally is a lot of carriers will come in and they'll just pop up a cell site or two in the most populated areas to meet that requirement. And then they'll start selling services, right? And because that's the most economical, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Strata definitely in being in the business for 20 plus years now has built out a more robust network in the Unibasin for a few reasons to, to really facilitate and connect our local consumers. We know where they need more coverage. Industry is more critical. We, I think we understand the oil and gas extraction businesses and where they need to work. And, uh, so that's why, right? I mean, and, okay. it, and it does it does cost more to provide that network, and uh, I think it's something we're proud of. It's 
should represent value to our customers, yeah. right? I mean, if you um, if you live in the basin or are familiar with it, you understand the geography of it and you know mountainous regions, and so it takes a lot of cell sites to cover those areas. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of work to make over a hundred <clears throat> cell sites sing like the choir too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's we we always we always relate it to like singing. If the network's out of tune, then the singing sounds terrible, right? So <laughs> somebody's off pitch. <laughs> so. Uh, are there differences or similarities between Strata's network here locally and, and a network in Salt Lake, for instance? Are, are they similar? Are they same technologies, same equipment, similar equipment? I mean, well, better, worse, just kind of break it down. For with us. 4G, that's kind of the reconvergence of technology. And so for a long time, uh, back in the analog days, we had analog, and that was really the only thing out there. And then they came up with a technology called TDMA and then CDMA. And we kind of started in the TDMA world, but decided CDMA was where we wanted to be because of some securities and it was better technology and things. TDMA kind of kind of uh, developed into the GSM technology world. And so that's kind of where carriers started to, to diverge is, is there became uh, GSM carriers and then there became CDMA carriers. And now with 4G, we've all kind of, we've started to combine back. So as, as the GSM world goes away and the CDMA world goes away, where right now primarily voice is, uh, you will see that the the big carriers like AT&T, for instance, is a GSM carrier. And so is T-Mobile. Those, those aren't compatible with Stratus CDMA network, but they are certainly compatible with Stratus LTE network. Mm -hmm. And so... So that, that technology is starting to come back and give us m many, many more options now than we had before. Kind of converging the technologies yeah. where they separated before. Yep. And, yep. It's exciting. So, so an AT&T network here in the basin historically was not compatible with Strata's network at all. No. Like we couldn't roam on each other. Right. As we start to converge back to LTE and 5G, they will, yep. they will converge. I've used that word too many yep. times, but where we can actually potentially use each other's network in situations where we don't have coverage or AT&T doesn't have coverage, right? Right. Okay. All right, 5G. I think we should start. I think we should start with the coronavirus question about 5G. <laughs> I really want to see if I can make you two really uncomfortable. There's been all sorts of talks. There's crazy stuff happening with 5G and coronavirus. Like I was reading again today, I think yesterday in Salt Lake City, an individual chained himself to the base of a 5G site that's getting built and demanded that they cease construction on that location because of perceived health risks and issues. In In the UK, they're burning. They're burning you know, they've had 10, 20 different site yeah. locations that are getting burnt and vandalized and because people believe that 5G is creating health risks and issues. What well, say you two? <laughs> <laughs> I want you two to weigh in on this highly contested discussion. Well, yeah. first of all, I'll say I looked up some of the articles that you had that you referenced, and mm -hmm. the first line on one of those articles was a quote from Mark Twain, <laughs> and it said, "A lie can travel around the world and back again, while the truth is lacing up its boots." Mm -hmm. It's probably true, yeah. So you know, it's it's non-ionizing radiation, you know. All of us were kids when the microwaves came out back in the back in the day, and you know what did your parents or grandparents grandparents tell you about the microwave? You put your food in, you push the button, and don't stand there and look at it. Don't put your face up to the glass. So non that's the first thing you did when you were a kid, right? Well, Just because they told of you not to. <laughs> you know, but we've had them around for years and years, and you know it's non ionizing. So it's the the perception that it's negative to your health has been disproven. You know. Yeah. If you're smart about it, you know, you're not going to climb up a tower and stand in front of a dish or something like that because you might get burned. Mm -hmm. Well, the frequencies that 5G is using have been in use for several years. Yeah. Um, some of the 5G technologies or the spectrum that they're talking about using has been used by the 4G network already. So they've already yeah. been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you stick food in a microwave that has a virus in it the microwave kills the virus right <laughs> so maybe we're safer if so we're standing I, in the so 5G i don't think path. coronavirus was caused by <laughs> 5g uh -huh. you know look at south korea for instance they mm -hmm. they're the biggest Fixed promoter them. the largest network of 5g and yet they they had the fastest downturn of 
coronavirus, right? So, mm-hmm. so maybe it is killing the so virus. Maybe it day. is. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to go stand by a 5G tower for the next <laughs> That's right. few days and get so we're safe. It. We don't need to believe that. Then you're saying, huh? Okay. No. All right. Um, so let's just simply stated, what's the big deal with 5G? Faster speeds. Well, like we talked about, you know, it's the fifth generation, and and uh, those spectrums have been used before. But basically, it's and you know, it's in, it's um, enhancing your coverage using your spectrum efficiently. You know, kind of like if you if you compare it to a transmission in a vehicle, say a standard six-speed transmission. This, I like to simplify things and look at it that way. You know, your low band is going to be your first gear. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get there very fast, but you can go anywhere all day long in that your high band's going to be sixth gear you can move really fast but when it comes to a hill you're going to have to grab a gear mm-hmm. you know your third and fourth in between is your medium so so 5g is currently being deployed on which bands 5g is being deployed on low bands so lower spectrum 600 megahertz uh, 700 megahertz okay um mid band spectrum so two 2.5 megahertz, um, probably some in the 1.9, some coming up in the in the 3.65, the CBRS spectrums, and then the millimeter waves spectrums, okay. the 24 gig, the 28 gig, those really high band spectrums. So it's kind of all over the place. So I'm trying to get, I'm going to try to summarize and simplify and correlate for the listener, right? So there's different benefits to each one of those different deployment types, right? So yep high band millimeter would be probably much faster speed in terms of a, a data speed on your phone but you've got to be much closer to the cell site or yeah. the actual you know transmission location correct like right what we're what we're reading in the studies is that it may the signal in some of those situations may only travel a half a mile or a couple thousand feet right is that correct yeah the millimeter wave is not known for for building penetration or refraction it's just it doesn't it doesn't go very far but it's like having a it's like having 10 hoses watering your garden mm-hmm. you know you just there's much much more spectrum the blocks are bigger so you can get more volume out of it on so the, in on that those. in that deployment type we we've seen and read many studies that are saying consumers may be able to expect speeds as fast as one to two gigabits per mm-hmm. second right like that's blazing yep. really fast but i think we got to break that down and make sure people understand what that means that means literally like a, a small cell, small cell site on every street corner. Yep. In right. The, in so the in millimeter a, waves. Yeah. yeah. So in, in a situation like New York City, I've also read this. I've, I've read that if New York City were to deploy small cell millimeter wave 5G technology, which they're probably starting to do, mm-hmm. some carriers, yep. they would have more cell sites in New York City than all of the country combined previously. Right. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Yeah. Because they they literally would have to place these like every thousand feet, right, yeah. to get the proper get coverage. And and we need to remind the listener that every one of those would have to be connected with fiber. So people yeah. that say that five G will just replace fiber, it won't. It'll actually perpetuate fiber. It actually require it requires fiber to function correctly, right. right? Yeah, and a lot of the deployment strategies for those carriers is not to right now blanket the whole the whole city of New York or mm-hmm. Salt Lake or somewhere, they're deploying the 5G where there's big volumes of traffic. So in a stadium, stadium right? or okay. or somewhere like that where, Mall they, or yeah, where they have low or high densities of people, but small areas, they're kind of using that as a hotspot. So what's the more common 5G deployment that we're hearing about now as we're starting to hear that there's there's just a few handsets that are claiming to be 5G capable, they are mm-hmm. 5G capable, and some carriers are starting to talk about 5G, although they're putting a little E on the end of it, whatever, right. whatever that means. <laughs> um, maybe you guys can interpret for us. what What's that deployment look like? What are the typical speeds? How does it compare to like the 4G LTE that Strata's already deployed and has had deployed since 2011? Well, the 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 speeds are the speeds are more related to the the spectrum um, than the, than I guess the the technology. And so, four G's four G's pretty fast, and we can we can aggregate several different spectrums of four G to to get speeds higher. Uh, the same technology exists in five G. You aggregate you aggregate uh, spectrum to get things higher, and so. 
if one garden hose doesn't put enough water out, you, you put two together and, and use the combined volume of, of mm -hmm. both to, to get that. But, um, there's depending on which carrier you look at, some are deploying 5g and low band. Mm -hmm. Uh, some are up in the millimeter wave and some are in the mid bands. And so there's no real, um, strategy that I guess any one carrier is using. Some are deploying it, I think in the low band more for the icon on the phone than they are for the speeds. Um, and so just having a, a 5g RF wave out there will, will light the little light on your phone and, and, you know, say 5g, but the speed and the throughput of that is not much different than what you're already getting through 4g. So you're saying it's a bunch of marketing hype. Yeah, some of it. <laughs> well, some of it is definitely marketing hype, right? Everybody's rushing to be the first one there to claim it, right? Like right. biggest 5G network, first 5G network, fastest 5G network. It's it's all about winning the consumer's dollar. And so yep. sometimes maybe the message gets ahead of the technology. And I think that's probably true in the situation, correct? Yeah, I heard about, uh, oh, it's probably maybe been a year ago now, that the only app that was out there that was truly developed for 5G was, was speed test. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to make everybody feel good that they got a fast speed test. Now, I think in the last year, technology's made leaps and bounds in the 5G world. If you go to the to the CES Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas uh, last year, they had they had lots and lots of 5G technology, and I think it's really exciting over 4G because I think it's more of a well, I know it's more of a, a cloud technology. Mm -hmm. And so if a firefighter, for instance, is wearing gear that is 5G enabled, then as they leave the station and roll up onto a fire, as an example, there's probably hundreds of other examples we could use, but this is just one that, that I had heard and, and read about. But as they roll up onto a fire, their, their vitals are being, are being streamed back to a, a, you know, somebody watching that. They can tell whether they're anxious or, you know, they can tell if their heart rate's really elevated or if, when they're in actively in the fire, they can tell whether something's wrong with them and they're breathing and, and things like that. And so 5g really enables the edge mm -hmm. of the cloud so that, so that everything becomes part of a network, not just reporting to a network. So, yeah. so 5g being low latency and all that, I don't know if you've ever tried to, um, look at doing 5g with a little something as simple as moving a ball around a, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, what do they call it? Just a, a platter a labyrinth a, or yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. Trying to negotiate the ball. They did this at a show where they did that in, in 5g and then 4g and in a 4g world, the latency was, was just enough that you couldn't, you couldn't move that ball where it needed to. It always fell through the wrong hole. Mm -hmm. And when they enabled 5G, then you the speeds and the reactions were fast enough that they could negotiate that ball to the end. So latency is a term that we use a lot in the industry, but some people probably don't understand mm -hmm. exactly what that means. It's just responsiveness, correct? Right. right. Low latency is is very high response. It responds very quickly, right? Right. It's what gamers want. Yes. Gamers they don't want really any want delay that. at all no. in the signal being sent and, and right. re received. And so low latency in our terminology basically means that on a 5g network it's very very responsive very yeah. very little delay right so yeah, that ball can roll around in that instant. labyrinth and it can adjust very quickly and, and guide it to where yeah, it wants in to the, go in the one to two millisecond range versus 30 to 40. yeah okay so when is 5g coming to the basin <laughs> that's the thing that everybody wants to know i want to know that i'm gonna defer that to jeff <laughs> he'll probably defer well, it to him. yeah like i like like i said before my team has has been watching 5g for for over a year now and all the equipment that we've we've deployed has been with the thought of 5g in our in our minds and so the sites that we've recently put in uh, the backhaul that, that feeds the sites that we've put in is all 5G prepped and and pretty much with the with the, with the throw of a switch to a software upgrade to our network we could we could be in the 5G realm. Now we, we work with a partner named Rena who does do, does the switching 
fabric of of the network and rena has has already um, put in play for the core to be a, a 5g core as well so we're right on the edge of that i don't know specific dates on when i would say we'd turn that on but it's so it's really ready. quickly you've we we promised earlier in the show and you've mentioned <clears> it twice now that we would break down rena just really quickly um so rena give us a 30 second explanation of what rena is what is that an acronym yeah rural, yeah rural <laughs> independent network alliance so okay rural independent network alliance okay so the rena core is is primarily owned by strata or the majority owner of it um they they work with with lots of carriers around the around the country carriers that cannot afford to to have their own core infrastructure but would like to have a wireless play one one maybe nuclear natarita over in colorado mm -hmm. where they you know they only deployed maybe 15 sites but there's not enough revenue off of 15 sites to own your own core mm -hmm. but they can through the arena network because because we can all kind of like the handsets we've got together with a buying group and and we can make that core available to carriers that otherwise couldn't afford it gotcha so it's basically like a cost sharing mechanism yep. right where strata owns this asset and they're they're saying well we have excess capacity on this asset and we yep. can go out and work with these smaller carriers that want to buy a slice of the pie and we can share it with them yep they benefit we benefit yeah and and then you share resources and expertise so that's what yep. rena is huh? we just enlarged our family that's right that's exactly <laughs> right. so how many other owners are there within street within rena is it we're we talking like dozens 20 30 or, or a handful no there's a handful of owners um there's there's several well there's there's two different types of ownership i won't get into that but mm -hmm. there's a type a and a type b so everybody's an owner under the b platform but there's some capital owners that are that are more that own more stocks in arena gotcha that. but we touch we touch around 30 carriers nationwide oh awesome with our with pieces and parts of our network and that's all happening right here in the una basin yep so and it's it's a majority owned or uh yeah majority owned subsidiary not wholly owned but majority owned subsidiary of strata networks right, right? yep cool so there's employees of strata that are assigned to rena to, as yep. to rena as their primary function right kind of interesting okay yep. yeah we'll probably do another podcast in the future specifically about rena because it's it's one of those things that's happening right here in the una basin highly technical yep it's really cool. a cool thing but yep. most people don't know anything about it right so all right well um we're probably getting close to wrapping this up, fellas. We've taken quite a bit of time. Um, do you guys have some kind of closing thoughts or anything that we haven't touched that you guys want to hit on? Don't fight over the mic, you two. <laughs> we both looked at each other <laughs> like, you want to talk first? <laughs> Go ahead, Benny. Anything you want to mention? Oh, it's a great network. It's a great job and career to be in. Um, and the people make it better. But it's fun to be in fast-paced and, you know, look into the future to see what's going to come out next and, uh, challenges like that and you know making sure we have coverage for anybody that needs it i mean look at the agriculture and and medical issues that the 5g and the faster speeds are going to benefit you know it's going to be great yeah absolutely yeah. yeah i think 5g is 5g is going to be a an awesome technology once once everything's developed for it. it's going to make our our hospitals our doctors our our infrastructure you know just everything's going to be be um, so much cooler in mm -hmm. that um i i guess with uh you know we always we always knew how how important communications have been but i think the the whole covid 19 thing has kind of brought that more to light maybe and i've i've seen the the traffic that's that's generated on the network and you know people staying home and using the traffic and how important that is to the to the communication around the base and i think strata's always tried to stay up with that mm -hmm. stay forefront with it uh, the wireless department to me is is a cool place to be because we're always kind of watching cutting edge so if we do something i tell my group if uh if you got bored today you didn't do your job because <laughs> we we expect them to be looking for for stuff and it may it may be something that never pans out but it may be something that's really important to us and and we're always we're always trying to push ahead to that and it's a cool place to be it's fun to be on the edge of of the bed you know wondering what's going to keep you from going off that's right <laughs> that's right it is it's very fast paced very challenging yep 
very, very rewarding also. Um, it's nice to know that, that we are working to provide a service that consumers absolutely have to have and need, um, yeah. not only for entertainment and convenience, but for, you know, critical life-saving functions like emergency response and all those right. things, industry, like we've talked about. So it is, it's a, it is a great industry to be in and, uh, it's, yeah. it's rewarding and challenging and satisfying all at the same time. Well, ma imagine without the 5G coming, you know, if you're, if you're a rural community like we are, you know, the doctors are all out on the Wasatch front, the, the specialists, mm -hmm. you know, that may help. We've got great doctors here, but, um, being able to, to phone in and have one of them, even at our local hospital, have right. one of them call in and with the ambulance and do that. If you, if you didn't have no delay in the network, that would be really, really hard. And then when they're doing surgery, if they needed to call in a specialist, mm -hmm. you know, out, out somewhere else, anywhere in the country, really, anywhere in the world, they could get in and help with remote surgeries. Yeah. So I think it's. Yep. With low latency, low yep. latency. Absolutely. Well, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Hopefully we've kind of peeled back the layers of let people look into what it, what it's really like to own and operate and manage a wireless network, um, the challenges and the satisfaction and. And hopefully listeners have a, a bit a bit of a better understanding of some of those challenges and, and the difficulties. Um, 5G's coming. We're working fast and hard at getting it here for our consumers, right? And yep. it is going to be a fantastic technology and service once deployed. Yep. And uh, we'll keep working to get, the, you know, once those handsets are available and, and more uh, broadly commercially available, we'll get those and get them distributed. So... Our, four, um, our 4G network's pretty darn fast. Oh, yeah. That yeah, is. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> so don't wait till 5G. That's right. <laughs> Use it now. That's right. Yeah. Well, we want to thank the listeners for listening and uh, always want to encourage them to drop a question or a comment, give us feedback on on future conversation topics that, that might be of interest to them. You can email us at podcast at stratanetworks.com or drop a, a question or a comment in, in the social feed where we'll post this. And uh, once again, really appreciate you two taking the time to come into the studio and share your knowledge and your experience. Appreciate it. Been fun. Thanks yeah, again thanks. for listening to the Strata Networks podcast.